0: Hello everyone, welcome to another episode of Stories of Darkness, the podcast that brings some life to the introductory fiction from Vampire the Masquerade sourcebooks. My name is Sean, and as always, you can follow me on Twitter at Stories of Dark for information on episode releases as well as other gaming-related projects. The story for this episode is called Enlightened by the Darkness and is from the revised edition of Clan Book Tremere. It follows a jaded debunker of the supernatural who eventually learns he can't quite explain everything as being simple hoaxes. Clan Book Tremere Revised was written by Jess Heinig and published in 2000 by White Wolf. Sometimes I feel caught between two distinct worlds. The one that we all see and agree to acknowledge and the one that some lizard-like primordial portion of our brains understands only subconsciously. We move about through the common world and accept it as normal because peeling back the layers underneath would be too much to bear. I spent much of my life reinforcing the common world. Stage magic, sleight of hand, debunking paranormal phenomena and the like. Rational explanations exist for everything, I used to say, and I'd go to great lengths to find them. Of course, such an explanation may not be plausible, but we're oh so sure of our ability to define our little world that we will gladly throw out sensibility in the interests of turning the unexplained into something that we can rationalize as scientific and logical. Occam's razor doesn't support that notion, but people would rather believe anything far-fetched as long as it proves that they're not insane and that the world works in terms they understand. Let me give an example. People don't believe in Vampires. A huge body of literature surrounds them. Stories, movies, and television shows regale us with their exploits. Tales of the undead go back as far as ancient Africa and Sumeria. And they have roots in the folk tales of just about every culture in the world. But everybody knows that vampires aren't real. The notion of something that comes back from the dead and drinks blood to survive? Ludicrous. The idea that a monstrous beast might live forever in a cursed existence devoid of sunlight or hope? Absurd. The very thought that something out there might work in ways that humans don't understand might defy the very order of existence that people take for granted, might prey upon humans, influence them, prowl among them, surpass them. No, humans are the pinnacle of creation. We certainly can't upset that notion. If humans are just cattle, if they can die meaninglessly just to satiate the perverse whims of malevolent monstrosities, well, that's enough to upset anyone's notion that we're in charge of our own destinies. I'd done a show circuit and associated work for a couple years. I'd tour through big towns and give performances of stage magic, illusions, and prestigitation. I also made it a policy to always debunk one trick per show. Other professionals hated that, but audiences enjoyed it, so it guaranteed that I could put asses in seats. On the side, I'd teach the curious kids, investigate odd stories, sometimes even show up on television spots to debunk a claim of psychic powers or supernatural phenomena. I'd see a report about some freak occurrence, and immediately my mind would go into overdrive, figuring out how it worked, how it happened, how it could be made to look real, and how I could duplicate it. In some ways, I loved the convolutions, but even more I think I enjoyed bending those phenomena to my understanding. I'd couch them in simple, easily explainable terms, show how they were all hoaxes, and leave with the satisfaction that the world still fit my perceptual box. Charlatans, liars, and hucksters were the people I left behind. I suppose in a way I felt better than them. The world worked the way I said. And if they wanted to hang on ridiculous notions like faith and parapsychology and magic, then they obviously weren't as smart and educated as I was. Anyway, my tour took me inevitably to New York, the third bastion of trashy show antics right after Vegas and Hollywood. Broadway's looking old these days. And when you're off-off-Broadway in the slums and ghettos and crack houses of late-night entertainment television, you know it. Everybody there has two gimmicks and an agent. My latest job? run a quick show circuit, then hook up with a camera crew and debunk a haunted house for hard copy or AE. The show wasn't so much the important part. It went as I'd expected. Levitate an assistant, create silk scarves from nowhere, walk through a brick wall, and so on. The usual prestidigitation gave way to a tired old evening. I got my makeup squared again and headed out with the camera crew in a van to the Manor of Ghosts. Ooh, spooky. I felt like some ridiculous extra from The Sixth Sense, for Christ's sakes. The house itself was suburban, maybe 50's style, probably built in the economic boom after World War II. had a bit of surrounding yard. stood by itself in the midst of an otherwise boarded up apartment and package store ribbon neighborhood. It didn't look haunted, just tired. I quipped as much to the camera, witty me. The house interior was much the same. Dusty, creaky, deserted, with the occasional bit of odd rubble. A flapping sheet or a weird water stain. Nothing out of the ordinary, but certainly the sort of things that could be taken by superstitious or thrill-hungry neighborhood kids as evidence of haunting. I spent two days going over that damn house. Not a single spook ever reared its head, either in person or on infrared camera. The camera crew mostly filled a lot of my smarmy commentary about gullible people. Matters got weird after the job. I'd packed up the last of my investigative gear, heat sensors, compasses, field detectors, all in compact neat little gray metal cases without extraneous flashing lights or the like when we received a visitor. The sun had already set. I'd hoped to go home earlier, but the camera crew had insisted on a couple of spooky nighttime shots. I was heading out the front door to put the remainder of my things in the van when a woman's voice startled me from behind. Excuse me. Simple words, but they scared the hell out of me. I'd just debunked a tired old house that didn't have a single bit of real strangeness about it, and some voice from behind me managed to chill my skin and make my neck hair stand on end. I turned rather too quickly and noted a tall woman in a severe business suit standing on the porch, right next to the wall, just where my eye would have missed her as I came out the front door. I managed to calm my nerves. Can I help you? We're just leaving, I commented offhand. The woman took two steps toward me. For some reason, my stomach knotted up and my mouth dried. My skin felt a little chilled, even under my casual, make-the-audience-feel-comfortable sweater. The woman adjusted her narrow glasses and gave me an even look before she continued. I'd just like the chance to talk with you for a moment. I sighed. If it's about the permits, the guy in the van's got him. The house is abandoned and the network squared everything. If it's about the magic show, you can talk to my agent. I'm afraid I'm really tired tonight. Sorry to be a jerk, but I just want to get home. Long day. The woman raised an eyebrow and I adjusted my stance a little. I felt uncomfortable, but I couldn't place why. Like she was a cop or a tax auditor or someone who'd caught me in the middle of a mischievous act and she was going to enjoy raking me over the coals. She took another step up and added in a slightly softer voice. No, I was following your work and your investigation. I wanted to discuss your methods. One professional magician to another, you could say. Under the wan porch light, I noted that she seemed a little older than she'd first appeared. The yellow light made her look gaunt and sallow, and the severity of her suit and clothing style just added to the effect of a skeletal schoolteacher. I'm sure you could spare a few minutes for me, she added. I put my tool case on the ancient wooden chair that decorated the patio without even realizing that I'd done so. A few minutes, I suppose, I said, somewhat bemused. The woman had piqued my interest in a morbid sort of way. "'Good,' she smiled at me. "'Strangely, her edgy smile didn't set me any more at ease. "'Obviously, you discovered that there's absolutely nothing special about this house, "'but that's to be expected. "'I'd found the same when I first looked into it two years ago. "'I'm more interested, actually, in the one in Austin. "'The one where you got those hazy images on camera.' "'What about it?' I crossed my arms. "'Just like this place, old, decrepit, nothing spectacular.' The heat images came from the improper insulation and ducting. Any contractor could take you from haunted to habitable in about a month. She shook her head as if I'd made a mistake. A well, good theory, I thought, but you didn't follow up on it. You should have checked the insulation instead of just dismissing it out of hand. I snorted. Did you miss the bit where we went over the ducting? Wind shear across the roof and into the ducting made a pressure differential in the large rooms. That means movement of hot and cold air bodies. Simple. Simple. The woman took a more casual stance and answered. Of course. But hot air moves upward. That third image you caught moved sideways. Wind motion, I countered, starting to enjoy the debate. This was just the sort of argument that I often had with so-called psychics and sorcerers. It's not so much in the data as in how you interpret it. Besides, you know as well as I that glass doors heat and cool at a different rate than the rest of the walls. That means different radiant properties. Good, good, she murmured. Again, reminding me strangely of a teacher. Still, you didn't check. You assumed. And you know what they say about that. Somewhat annoyed at the presumption, I picked up my toolbox. Look, I've got to be going. Take my card and we can continue this discussion by email. With my free hand, I managed to fumble in my pocket for my wallet and then stupidly dropped it on the ground. I sighed, stuck the toolbox back on the chair and bent down to pick it up, but the woman had already beaten me to it. She offered it back to me without comment, and I managed to dig out a business card. I turned to look back at the van, but it wasn't in the driveway. I think your friend's left without you, the woman commented wryly from behind. I can give you a ride, though. I turned back to protest, but she simply said, Come on. She eyed me knowingly and then brushed right past. I shrugged and followed to her car. The woman drove an old Jaguar. Classy, tasteful, a little out of the league of what you'd expect from... What? She'd never actually come out and said what she did. Certainly not a stage magician with that expensive car and off-putting appearance. I sidled into the car as the night became abruptly stranger and gave the woman directions to my hotel. So how much do you really disbelieve? The woman asked as she drove. Do you suspect that there may actually be things out there that you can't explain rationally? I started to snort impatiently, but stopped and thought for a moment. I suppose it's possible, I said. Reason accounts for plenty, though. The woman grinned. For a moment, it seemed a hideous sight in the wan light of the night's cars and street lamps. What about things outside of reason? Even modern science accepts that it can't explain everything. I made a dismissive moue, but answered. Sure, but I just haven't seen anything like that yet. I suppose you could say that when I manage to figure out these amateur psychics and the like, I come up with one explanation. It may not be right, but it's certainly much more likely. The woman finished for me. A bit startled, I let it drop. When we made it to the hotel, the woman asked to come up to my room to continue the discussion. I'd deflected enough groupy come-ons to know that this wasn't one. By this time, I wanted to pin down what exactly this woman was up to. If she was some sort of fraud, she was consistent, at the very least. If not, then what did she want? So, upstairs we went. Once inside, I shut the door, shoved my toolbox next to the nightstand, and turned to discuss the heart of the matter. The woman had just folded and put away her glasses, and in the light she seemed to have an almost ghostly allure. I put on my angry face, trained actor and all, and barked, All right, you've had your fun. Want to come out with it now? The woman simply nodded at me. She pinned me with her gaze, and suddenly I felt that terror again as my stomach nodded. But I was pinned to the spot. Partly due to fear, partly because some insanely rational part of my mind needed to know. You've looked for explanations in the world around you, and that's good. She stated, taking a slow step forward. Unlike a scientist, you look at the problems that people dismiss or deride. You're willing to place yourself on the line to get to the bottom of mysteries that people don't credit. But you always fall back. You never want to realize the truth. You're stuck on the edge, trying to find something out there, but pulling back at the last minute. I couldn't speak. Mouth dry, rooted to the spot. I had no words left. Somewhere in the back of my head, my own voice whispered. She's going to kill you. I'm going to do you a favor, she cooed, taking another step forward. I'm going to pull back that veil, rid you of those doubts. I'm going to take you across the threshold, and when you've done that, you will never shy from the precipice again. She stepped right up, looking unblinkingly into my eyes and made a slight nod of her head in the direction of the hotel room's tiny wet bar. In there, she commanded, and while my mind shouted, she's insane, she'll kill you... My feet obeyed of their own accord and carried me into the room and under the tile. The woman followed briskly and stepped around in front of me. She frowned once, still looking slightly up, then said again, On your knees. My body trembled. No, I said. The woman smirked. A last act of defiance, I see. You have a strong will and an inquisitive mind. Let's hope that your desperate search for the truth does not take them into places where you should not go though I suppose one could say that it's too late for that. Her face hardened. On your knees, she repeated, and I collapsed. Don't worry, the woman said, stroking my hair in a motherly fashion as she drew herself next to me. Everybody who goes through this comes out dead, one way or another. She kissed my neck, and a brief pressure gave way to a burning ecstasy. I was suddenly aware of every thudding beat of my heart, my pulse in my temples, of the rush of blood through veins like silk moving across my skin. From the corner of my eye, I saw blood coursing in rivulets down my shirt, and spattering on the clean white carpet. The reflected light of the bright hotel bulbs illuminated the floor with a glare, against which the blood, my blood, your blood, she's drinking your blood, and you're going to die, made deep crimson patterns and puddles, writhing across the thick fibers with every drip. Gasping with a drowning man's desperation, I felt and tasted salty blood coursing across my own lips. With a desperate need, I choked and sucked down the blood, which seared razor-edged pain down my throat and into my gullet. My eyes rolled up toward the impeccably clean ceiling as I died. I awoke draped in a funerary shroud, laid on a cold slab. The darkness around me slowly gave way to shapes, huddled an arm's length away. Susuriations reverberated through the chamber. I could see no light bulbs, no familiar walls, only a dim flicker from an oil lamp that hung from a high vaulted ceiling. My clothes were gone. Only the white robe covered my body, but the coldness of the stone didn't bother me. In a detached fashion, I realized that I wasn't breathing, that the room seemed to echo a bit more loudly as if some background sound had been removed from me, and that I was thirsty. Arise, a gravelly voice intoned. Again, the host of whispers rose in volume, then faded. I sat up, keenly aware that something was missing. Fearful and desirous at the same time. Almost an arousing sensation, but more of an intellectual lust, like the hunger for knowledge or vengeance. I wanted, but I had no idea what. So rise from the dead, postulant, the voice intoned, followed by the whispers. I caught fragments of Latin syllables that bounced through the vault as a robed figure approached me bearing a chalice. I felt weak suddenly and dizzy. I steadied myself with my hands and then pushed myself off the slab. Will you rest here? Will you rest forever? Or search forever? The figure asked. My voice croaked out harshly. I want to live. The voice in the corner of my mind pleaded, shouted, gibbered. You're dead and they'll kill you again. You'll die over and over and over. It trailed off weakly as I straightened my posture. Speak with me, the figure stated. He held a chalice toward me. A scent wafted from the chalice, at once inviting and repulsive. I reached for it, but the figure pulled back, repeating. Speak with me. A Latin sentence rolled out of the figure's mouth. From the other figures about the room, a subtle hiss of whispered words followed. I stumbled over the words myself through sentences and Latin conjugations while the world seemed unstable about me. At last, the man gave me the chalice and bade me drink, and with an unfamiliar desire rising, I swallowed from the cup. The sluggish taste of bracken blood flooded my senses and mashed down my throat. "'washing away hunger, desire, and uncertainty. "'I felt the dead coldness of the liquid, "'its sour and rotten taste "'bringing forth a perceived stench of decay. "'About me, the robed figures waited statue-like, "'but I saw about them a terrible malevolence, "'as if they somehow mirrored "'the ancient potency of the blood I swallowed. "'I felt a sudden heat and pain, then nothing. "'The chalice, empty, dropped from my lips "'and was quickly snatched up "'in the long fingers of the figure before me. "'You have drunk from the chalice "'and been reborn in our sacrament.' the figure in tone with a hint of impatience. Where? What is this? I managed. In the dim lamplight, one of the figures stepped forward. The woman I'd met before pushed back her hood and smiled at me, again in a way that put me at unease. This time, my stomach did not tighten and my back did not tingle. Instead, I felt a slow suspicion, a creeping paranoia as she spoke. Welcome to our circle, child. You've crossed the threshold. Now you have much to learn.